She's the pushy broad from the Bronx, New York. Follow her voice, a straight dog is nice. She's the pushy broad from the Bronx, oh yeah. Don't be surprised if you want to listen twice. Make decisions, find the right choice. Know yourself better, find your own voice. It's okay if you need help today, because everybody needs a little push. From the pushy broad from the Bronx, New Welcome, Transformation Network listeners. My name is Ellen Stewart, and I am the pushy broad from the Bronx. Happy New Year. Welcome to my show, Recovery Recharged, where we share valuable information and insights from experts in addiction and recovery. I am so delighted to welcome back this very prominent doctor to our show today, talking about a subject that we have all heard of, especially recently in the news, and maybe some of us are experiencing currently. Are you living with chronic pain? Dr. Wang is going to talk to us about what this is all about, how you can identify it, and ways to treat it holistically and medically. Dr. Wang has been a guest of ours on Recovery Recharged. He is an outstanding collaborator for me, and he has graciously uh, agreed to appear today and talk about this subject. Before I ask Dr. Wang to begin, I just want to tell you a little bit about this man. He is an addiction medicine physician and an associate medical director at Karen Treatment Centers. He oversees detox and chronic pain programs and also oversees Karen's nursing staff. He also serves as medical director for the Grandview and Older Adult Program. He's a diplomat of the American Board of Addiction Medicine, the American Board of Anesthesiology, and the American Board of Preventative Medicine Addiction Medicine Specialty. He's a fellow of the American Society of Addiction Medicine and the Pennsylvania Society of Addiction Medicine. Dr. Wang is also a clinical assistant professor of psychiatry at Penn State College of Medicine. Recovery Recharge and the Pushy Broad especially is so delighted to welcome in the new year, Dr. Wang. Good morning. How are you? Good morning, Ellen. Glad to be here. I'm always happy to be on your show. My pleasure. Thank you so much. I really consider you an expert, not only in the field of addiction medicine, but certainly in the field of chronic pain. So let's start very simply for all of us, because I had to learn this as well. Please begin by giving us an idea of how pain is even defined. Today, uh, the pain is defined as an unpleasant sensory and emotional experience associated with actual or potential tissue damage and uh, or describe in terms of such such a damage. And that's the uh, definition of pain as uh, defined by International Association of uh, Study of Pain. So what would differentiate normal pain from chronic pain? There's two, essentially two different kinds of pain, Ellen. There's acute pain and there's chronic pain. And when we uh, think about acute pain, typically what, what we're describing is, is a, a discomfort secondary to a noxious stimuli uh, due to injury or disease process or very commonly 
uh, in a post-op period, immediate post-op period. Whereas a chronic pain is a pain that persists beyond a reasonable time for healing to occur, okay? And this healing period typically could vary from anywhere from one month to six month period. And chronic pain can vary, can can be from no susceptive pain, just like acute pain. Uh, it could also be from um, neuropathic or it could be a, a mixture of both. And the distinguishing feature of chronic pain versus acute pain is that uh, chronic pain, one of the features is it can have a psychological component uh, to this pain. I see. Okay, well, we're going to talk much more about that psychological component as we move on. But but I want you to give us a brief, a brief layman science lesson on how the brain experiences pain. When, when pain is experienced, that typically means that in the periphery, that means the, whether it's the limbs, the torso, somewhere uh, outside of the, the central nervous system, uh, tissue, there's tissue damage. Okay, now, now we're talking about acute pain condition here, mm-hmm. for example, broken bone or immediately after surgery. And uh, the central nervous system receives the signal from this area of tissue damage. And so the central nervous system uh, it looks like a, looks like a, a highway okay, from the periphery to the brain where this information is processed. So it's kind of like a two-way highway. There's afferent and efferent uh, pathways. Afferent receives the signal from the damage area to the brain for processing in an area called the limbic system and also uh, the cortical area. Okay, and then the efferent refers to a signal that goes back to that area. So basically, the brain has to perceive that discomfort. So that's where we feel it, right? I mean, we break my, I break my bone, right? I fall, I have an injury, I hurt myself. I know that it's painful because that that part of the area, the nerves in that area send a message to my brain and says, oh my God, this is going to hurt, right? That's approximately how it goes. (laughs) Okay. Okay. All right. So, and I know we're going to talk about this a little bit more, but is all pain real? I mean, how do I know that this just isn't in my head? Explain that to me just a little bit. For the most part, Ellen, pain is real. Whether okay. it's okay. pain or chronic pain. Uh, and uh, when we talk about uh, acute pain, that's af- right after, immediately after injury, tissue injury, uh, you know, broken bone. It's going to hurt. <laughs> after surgery, when the surgeon cuts into the tissue, it's going to hurt. Now, with the chronic pain, we may be talking about uh, something very different. Uh, chronic pain, like I said before, varies from anywhere from one month to six months, and it's beyond the usual course of an acute disease. And so if pain persists or even worsens after that, despite no changes in that area, then it, it can be something else. And uh, could be a psychological component to that, could be an emotional component to that. But regardless, okay, the pain is real to that person, and we must treat it as such. Okay. All right. So 
So what you're saying is doctors and medicine have a respect for people that come into you with chronic pain, right? So one can't just say, oh, it's all in your head. Forget about it. It's, it's, it's really nothing. So the chronic pain definition, as you mentioned, is pain that persists for approximately maybe six months or more, right? And may involve not only biological situations, but psychological and social factors as well. All right. So let's say I have gone in for surgery and I am going through the normal healing process. And then all of a sudden I'm still taking pain medication and it's six months to a year later. How does one determine the difference between what's in my head and what's actually physically responsible for the pain? How does that happen? When someone has persistent pain post-op, uh, from a surgery that normally should have healed quickly and uh, with, with resolution of pain for the most part. If that person is still experiencing persistent pain that's ongoing and lingering and they are on pain medications because of that, then the other, other factors are in play, potentially in play here as well. Most commonly, uh, full agonist opioids, such as morphine, dilated, oxycodone, and such, uh, are prescribed for immediate post-op pain. However, if these full agonist opioids uh, continue to be prescribed and used by the individual, potentially the brain uh, could adapt to that condition of having that opioid and uh, not only the uh, emotional psychological component that comes with pain, but also a phenomenon called hyperalgesia could raise the threshold, could raise the perception of that pain. That's very interesting. Okay, so let's just dial it back for a second because we want to talk about this specifically. Looking at the physical aspects of chronic pain, what happens is once you have an injury, just like you said, whether it's a sports injury or a surgical injury, uh, physicians prescribe medication to dispel the pain. Once it goes beyond a certain point, a reasonable point of healing for the physical situation, if the pain is still persisting, one can feel that maybe the pain is no longer physical, but now psychological. And what you're also saying is that there are still medications to treat this pain, and these medications are opioid addictive medications. Is that correct? Right. Typical full agonist opioids, uh, are, the human body tends to develop tolerance to them. With prolonged uh, pain experience, not only are we talking about potential for psychological, emotional components to be in play, but also from a uh, physiologic standpoint, that opioid itself uh, could uh, potentially cause heightened pain perception and that is a function of the area of the brain where we perceive the pain, right? It's in the midbrain, the limbic system, and, and the cortical area. And so, um, uh, so the full agonist opioid, that's what we're talking about here. Full agonist opioid use uh, becomes problematic in itself, not just talking about the emotional and psychological component. Um, I understand. So there's a physical thing behind the agonist. Would you explain agonist for most of us that don't understand that that distinction and name some of the agonist opioids again, please, so that we can recognize them? 
most of the painkillers that we're familiar with, like morphine, oxycodone, hydrocodone, dilata, these are considered full agonist opioids. That means they're they're true opioids. They're true painkillers. And uh, uh, the pharmacology, the pharmacodynamics of these agents, a little different from another sort of uh, opioids called partial agonist opioids, okay? Uh, for agonist opioids, our body tends to develop tolerance to them rather quickly, and it comes with uh, some uh, unpleasant side effects if taken for too long, uh, constipation, for example, and uh, with development of tolerance, what we used to take that takes care of our pain doesn't seem to take care of our pain anymore unless we go up on the dose or go up on the frequency, whereas a partial agonist opioid tend not to, uh, we tend not to develop tolerance to partial agonists, so we could stay on the same dose for a long time. And a partial agonist opioid, we tend not to experience as many of the typical opioid side effects. Okay, so that's so the distinction. But I most painkillers are for agonist opioids. What? Give me an example of a partial agonist opioid. A partial agonist opioid, the very common one these days is buprenorphine, or uh, more commonly referred to as Suboxone, which is used extensively uh, in opioid use disorder to serve as a uh, maintenance for the addicted person. Uh, but also is a, is a, uh, those for those of us in the country who do a lot of chronic pain management, we discover that buprenorphine is actually not a very bad, not a bad painkiller for uh, someone with a pain condition. Okay, all right. So what happens here is that when then when you begin to manage pain, chronic pain, with agonist opioids. The problem is that you become addicted to these agonist opioids, like the 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 opioids that you mentioned, like dilaudin and morphine, and and the the drugs that are used post surgery or post injury, and then we become addicted to those. We develop a tolerance for those things, which means that if we're taking one a day and it doesn't work, we have to take two a day and three a day and four a day, and that's where the addiction comes in. So let's just talk a little bit about something that just recently happened in the news because it was this kind of situation that was dangerous and people were talking about Matthew Perry and his chronic pain and he also talked about it in his book about developing an addiction to substances and the most recent autopsy revealed that ketamine was in his system. Is ketamine an accepted drug to treat chronic pain, Dr. Wang? In your opinion? In my opinion, ketamine is not an appropriate agent for chronic pain management. And, and I'll tell you why. Ketamine uh, is not an opioid. Uh, uh, what ketamine is, is a dissociative agent. Okay. Uh, it's, uh, it is used extensively in anesthesia. Uh, I'm a pediatric cardiac anesthesiologist. So uh, we use ketamine quite often as a uh, as an induction agent uh, for children undergoing heart surgery, and it's referred to as a dissociative agent because what it does is um, uh, uh, it it um, involves 
involves dissociation, involves cutting off of awareness. Okay, uh, that means that when a person is given ketamine, it dissociates the part of the brain that's responsible for awareness from the rest of him. Therefore, it appears to be a good pain medicine because the person is not aware of any peripheral discomforts. Uh, hopefully that makes sense. And so what happens when someone receives ketamine is that uh, they are not feeling anything, not feeling pain, not feeling emotions. Uh, they're pretty numb. That's why it makes such a, a ideal adjunct to general anesthesia, especially for the induction. I see, but not should not be used to treat chronic pain. Uh, no, in my opinion, absolutely not. And because chronic pain is uh, a, a complex issue to deal with, it's not just about medications. Like I mentioned before, there's psychological and emotional component to it. And uh, therefore, the treatment modality of chronic pain is very, very different from someone who's experiencing acute pain condition or or someone who has a chronic pain condition secondary to cancer, cancer-related pain. Cancer-related pain. Right. So, so what people don't understand is that one of the foremost culprits of chronic pain are the opioids that people are taking, correct? Is that, is that what you see at Karen? Tell us about the patients that you see. That's right. Uh, opioids, uh, opioids are very commonly prescribed, not just for acute pain, but also also for chronic pain conditions also. And uh, uh, for Agnes, opioids should never use long-term, especially for chronic pain conditions, unless that person has cancer pain, uh, because uh, uh, it, it is not the treatment of choice, it is not appropriate, and it doesn't make sense. So how do people react when you tell them that what they're taking to stop the pain is what's causing the pain? Some people understand that, but they have no other options or are offered no other options. And, and some people uh, absolutely have no idea. They're, they're not aware that they're not supposed to take opioids for 20 years. And uh, so uh, here at Karen Treatment Center, we take care of a lot of uh, folks here who are on long-term prescription opioids. And, and uh one population that I see the most is in the older adult population. They have a chronic pain condition uh, and they've been prescribed opioids for years, if not decades ago, and um, uh, and eventually problem occurs, okay? Lots of problems and out of desperation, the family might bring them to our facility. And we, we are a drug and alcohol treatment facility. We're not a hospital and yet, uh, individuals come to our campus for help with their chronic pain and dependency on opioids. So you have a special department treating chronic pain, is that correct? We do have a chronic pain program here that's uh, 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 multidisciplinary. That so what, not only from a physical aspect, but also from a cognitive aspect also. And we're going to talk about more of that for sure. So when someone comes into you and they're a chronic pain patient, what are the kinds of things that they're asked when they come in? What questions? 
The first order of business always, Alan, when someone comes in uh, taking full agonist opioids uh, and with chronic pain conditions is the opioids has to go away. And so uh, we initiate uh, detox withdrawal management to get them off the opioids uh, uh, safely and as comfortably as we can. And, when you say, I'm sorry, go ahead. And, and simultaneously, we start to implement those modalities that are known to uh, d- definitively help with chronic pain condition. When you say safely, talk to us about what the dangers are of not detoxing safely and tell us how you do it safely. Coming off of four agonists, opioids, people go through withdrawal, opioid withdrawal symptoms that uh, can range from mildly uncomfortable to severely uncomfortable. And it, uh, in general, opioid withdrawal uh, is not fatal, is uncomfortable at best. However, uh, the only time that it may become dangerous is with someone who has uh, complicated underlying medical issues. For example, coronary artery disease, heart disease. Uh, and uh, if that person experiences induced stress due to opioid withdrawal, uh, they, they may, uh, it may be dangerous for them or someone with severe pulmonary disease. Uh, but in general, it's uncomfortable but not fatal. So what we do is we use uh, the medicine that I mentioned earlier, buprenorphine, which is a partial agnus, uh, for withdrawal management from opioids if they require pharmacologic assistance. How long does that detox normally take on average? How long will it take? What buprenorphine does is it simply masks the symptoms of opioid withdrawal. It doesn't make the process go any faster, okay? But when people are experiencing opioid withdrawal symptoms, it's very uncomfortable. They can't engage in treatment programming and they can't engage in uh, any of the non-pharmacologic modalities of pain management. Uh, So they would benefit from being on buprenorphine for some time, typically about six to seven days. Okay, and uh, some people may require longer. Just depends on what their uh, discomfort threshold is. Some people are very stoic; they could uh, they could uh, tolerate a lot of this physical discomfort, and some people can. Uh, but typically, about about anywhere from five to seven days on buprenorphine. So, of course, you do not suggest that people try to do this on their own at home, right? I, I will not suggest that. And the reason for it is even if they could physically uh, uh, kind of sort of old-fashioned term cold turkey themselves off of the opioids, it could be very uncomfortable. And, and that physical discomfort as well as the mental discomfort, uh, oftentimes people become unsuccessful in self-detox and would resume their opioid use. That's what happens. Can you just be a little bit more descriptive when you say discomfort for those of us out there that may be thinking, I don't know what this means and I'm afraid of the pain and this is why I should go to a doctor. Describe some of the discomfort symptoms for us. The physical discomfort from opioid withdrawal includes body aches, temperature intolerance, chills and sweats, uh, perstitious, that means uh, uh, just pins and needle feelings on the skin, 
they're anxious, they're restless, they're depressed, and uh, they they can't sleep. Sleep is disturbed, and that's only the that's only the physical part of it. And then as it progresses a little bit more, you might get some GI symptoms, uh, abdominal cramps, and then now we have full blown diarrhea as a result of the withdrawal. And then not to speak of the mental anguish uh, accompanying all this because they are depressed, they're not feeling well, and they have this this very intense cravings to start using opioids again to relieve all these symptoms. So if they can get to Karen to healthy to do a healthy detox, that's wonderful. If for some reason they can't get to your services, how do you suggest they do this? They should speak to their physician first. And uh, uh, if, if their own physician uh, is savvy with addiction or they, have, uh, uh, they are skilled in helping uh, their patients come off of opioids safely and as comfortably as possible, that's great. Uh, if not, if the patient is experiencing significant withdrawal symptoms and they have significant underlying medical issues, uh, that, that may place them at risk or fatality, perhaps, then they should seek hospital attention. That's very good to know. And it's also good to know that Karen does this safely and also will refer out if it becomes too dangerous for you to detox, depending upon the physical symptoms of the client. Yeah, the, the, the mere physical discomfort of opioid withdrawal, we typically don't have to send people out to the hospital for higher level care. Uh, but then again, uh, those individuals with significant underlying medical issues and, and like heart disease and severe lung disease, uh, uh, sometimes they may have to go to the hospital for closer monitoring while they're going through the process. Are there other ways to detox in addition to buprenorphine? Um, are there effective medications that can be used in uh, in this process? Yes. Some practitioners uh, uh, use the original full agonist opioids and just tapered them off slowly with the original medication. For example, oxycodone, if they're taking uh, oxycodone, uh, six times a day, they might wing with that medication to five times per day, four times per day, and maybe lower the dosage a little bit. And and people have successfully come off of uh, full agonist opioid with with that strategy as well. But that's not Karen's policy, correct? Typically, it's not because we don't use the original medications. Uh, when people come to us, uh, 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 most. Uh, most, if not all, individuals who are using opioids are in the severe opioid use disorder category. And therefore, we want to get them off uh, as quickly as possible, as safely and comfortably as possible, and uh, treat the actual addiction underlying that. Well, we have a few, we have about a minute before we go to break, but I just want to ask you in general, and we're going to talk about the, the, the emotional aspect and the physiological aspect of treating and take a look at some of the holistic methods when we come back from break. And the most important thing, Doc, before we do, is there hope for treating chronic pain? Can you get better? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. People with chronic pain can get better. Uh, and then we'll talk about that in the next segment. 
Uh, our goal here is to improve their function and quality of life. Those two Fantastic. things. Great. Stay tuned. Come back to the Pushy Broad and Dr. Wang. We'll be right back. Pushy Broad from the Bronx, New York. You have one life to live. You want to spend it doing something you enjoy and that has meaning. If you're listening to this, then you're among the many who feel that the work they're doing is no longer a fit. My comprehensive coaching will support you and help you figure it out. I've coached hundreds of people through career transition. Visit my website today to book a free call, www.reinventing-letteru.com, when what you do matches who you are. Are you ready to get big and live your life out loud? Tune in to Get Big Out Loud Radio, Exploring life through the lens of curiosity and compassion with me, Carrie Knudsen, joining Dr. Pat live every second Monday at 10 a.m. Pacific on TransformationTalkRadio.com. I will offer ideas to transform what you are thinking into conscious action. If you want to get big and live your life out loud, visit me at KnudsenSpeaks.com. Are you ready to put down that drink or drug for good? Are you struggling to maintain your recovery from addictive behaviors? Do you need help with a family member or loved one who's in early recovery or battling addiction? Get the help and guidance you need by arranging a recovery recharged phone session with me, Ellen Stewart, Pushy Broad from the Bronx, Certified Life and Recovery Coach. Call 1-800-889-1757. Make an appointment today. Or go to my website, pushybroadfromthebronx.com, and click on the link that says Recovery Recharged. Don't wait. Get the help you need today. This is Ellen Stewart, Pushy Broad from the Bronx, on TransformationTalkRadio.com. A book that actually has healing power. Introducing you to Maximize Your Healing Power by Dr. Sharon Martin, available now for pre-order. This book takes you on an empowering journey that teaches you how to have control over your own health. Bridging the divide between Western medicine and shamanic practices of energy healing. Pre-order today and get a free bundle of gifts from Dr. Sharon Martin and several of her partners. For more information, visit drsharonmartin.com. Are you looking to up-level your leadership style to create greater results and have more success, but not sure where to start? Executive coach Camilla Kahlberg can help. Recognized as one of the most inspiring coaches by EU Business News and regarded as one of the top mindset coaches in the world, she is helping clients thrive through personal and professional change. Camilla knows firsthand on what it takes to achieve what you may be missing in your life. Visit KahlbergCoaching.com for a free consultation. From the pushy broad from the Bronx, New York. Welcome back, Transformation Network listeners. I'm Ellen Stewart. I'm the pushy broad from the Bronx. Happy 2024. You're here with me on my show, Recovery Recharged, with my illustrious guest, Dr. Wang from Karen Treatment Centers. And we're talking about a topic that is certainly topical, chronic pain. What is it? Is there treatment for it? Is there hope? So 
The doctor was talking about all of the physical symptoms of chronic pain, the fact that chronic pain is something that goes on for six months or more and also has been treated by agonist opioids. And that sometimes is the problem that perpetuates the chronic pain. At Karen Foundation, they take a special look at chronic pain and how to treat it. So not only do they do detox safely and treat the existing source of the agonist opioids, but they also treat the emotional and psychological aspects of chronic pain. So, Doc, what do we mean by emotional and psychological aspects? What happens to these patients? How do they feel? When we talk about emotional and psychological aspects of chronic pain, we must understand uh, where this is coming from. And it's coming from a certain area in our brain called the limbic system. And uh, uh, the, uh, the chronic pain signal, when it arrives in the brain, that's the area that's also uh, of the brain that's the signal is being processed. So uh, if you could think of the pain signal coming to the brain and emotional uh, signals, and uh, they're all in that same area, kind of mixed together like like a soup, so to speak. And uh, so when, when a person is emotionally dysregulated, whether they're depressed, they're anxious, they're angry, any of the uh, distorted emotions, uh, it will heighten the perception of pain as well because it's it's all in the same area so that's uh that's the the part that we do understand those of us who treat chronic pain conditions so when we treat someone's pain perception not we're not only treating the peripheral source of the pain but we're also treating the central source of their pain which is seated in the brain and that's what I mean when I say the psychological and emotional component. So patient comes into you, you know, they're a chronic pain patient. They've been on opiates. They've gone through the detox. Now they begin to do some of the work because they are no longer feeling the effects of the opioid detox for the most part. What kind of things, what kind of descriptions happen? What are they saying to you? How do you know how bad the emotional pain is? Give us some examples. When patients come to our facility uh, with chronic pain conditions, whether that is their primary objective to get off of painkillers and and find a better option of chronic pain treatment, or they come in for substance use disorder and chronic pain happens to be one of their co-occurring issues, uh, we we always want to get to know our patients a little bit better, not just about uh, their physical condition, their chronic pain condition, but we also want to know about uh, their mental health history their uh, psychosocial history and their trauma history and such so that we could see uh, uh, the person as a whole. Because if we don't address the co-occurring issues that could potentially raise uh, the emotional and psychological component, then we're not helping with their chronic pain at all. So one of the things that Karen does to treat the emotional side of chronic pain is to 
what you're saying to me is improve their emotional awareness. Yes. What what other kinds of things do you do you do? So, yes, uh, improve their emotional awareness. But also, for example, Ellen, if someone has a past history of trauma that has never never been uh, uh, addressed or resolved, and uh, we must start to address that trauma issues. Many of our patients here, both men and women, for example, have sexual trauma. And if that piece of their history is not addressed or start to being treated, then that's a, that's a, that's an emotional dysregulation that potentially could contribute to heightened perception of pain. Or if they have depression and anxiety that's, that is not treated or resolved, and uh, that could, that could uh, raise the perception of pain as well. So first order business is always for patient to understand this body-mind connection that they have. And there, uh, therefore, we have a chronic pain group in addition to the rest of the program to help them understand their relationship with pain and how their, uh, how their brain plays a huge part of it. So it's not only physiological, but it's emotional as well. You've explained to us that emotional pain is directly linked to chronic pain and their perception of how deep the pain goes, traumatic events, and also maybe everyday life stressors, correct? Things that, that make somebody anxious or sad or nervous? That, that, that's correct. And, and part of the uh, triggering pathway it's uh, not not only emotional dysregulation, uh, and, but it's also stressors, also which which leads to emotional dysregulation, right? And so we have to help our patients understand that stress is involved not only in heightened perception of their chronic pain, but also uh, how that might play a role in their early recovery as well. To, that may lead to a relapse. Stressors. Yes, the everyday things, even if they go past their trauma and they work through that and they work through their actual physical pain, they need to learn how to manage everyday ups and downs. That's correct. And it doesn't take them back to trying to mask that pain with agonist opioids. I understand. I know that Karen's program on chronic pain focuses on the life stressors. You improve, like you said, the emotional awareness. You help them also overcome their fear of pain, correct? Right. That's correct. That's part of understanding uh, their chronic pain condition. Uh, most people in my experience with chronic pain conditions, they see their pain uh, as an adversary. They're fighting their pain all the time, every day for years. And here we try to help them shift their perception of that pain. Rather than looking at it as an adversary all the time, we look at uh, we help our patient look at their chronic pain condition sort of as a partner. Okay. And Explain that a little more. What do you mean? For example, if if a person looks at their chronic pain condition merely as an adversary, I wake up this morning and my leg is hurting. How can I defeat my enemy today? What can I take? Right? What medicine can I take? What do I have in, at my disposal to fight this nemesis? Right? Instead of looking at the pain like that, 
we help our patient to shift their perspective, kind of like recovery, Ellen, to, to shift their reco- uh, perception a little bit about their pain. Uh, when someone has uh, exacerbated pain or a pain flare-up, uh, they should be able to stop, pause, and look at their pain. What has changed? What has changed? Did I hurt my leg? No, I did not hurt my leg today. I didn't bump my leg. What's going on with how I feel right now? Am, am I all jammed up on the inside? Am I anxious about something? Am I angry about something that just happened? So uh, patients should be able to stop and look at themselves right at that moment to see what is different, what has changed. And once they're able to identify that emotional component, then do something about it. Have a good uh, skill set and strategy to do something about that. Again, I look at chronic pain management sort of uh, uh, running along a parallel track with recovery because what makes chronic pain worse likely will make uh, their re- uh, likely will impact their recovery as well. So it does go hand in hand, which is why, and Karen, you treat both the chronic pain and the addiction um, and the addiction as well, because they are very definitely linked. So focusing on life stressors, improving their emotional awareness, helping them overcome their fear of pain and to and to identify it and to uh, also teach teach them a little bit more how to communicate and how to communicate in the family. Why is that so important in treating chronic pain? Again, chronic pain treatment is about uh, not just one parameter, it's multiple parameters. Uh, Anything that potentially could dysregulate a person, okay, uh, should be looked at by that individual, whether it's past trauma and resolve, whether it's is uh, uh, mental health, or you know what you're referring to might be um, that psychosocial piece uh, with a with a family interaction. If there is family discord and the patient is leaving to go home to a very disruptive family dynamic, chances are pretty good if that patient has chronic pain conditions, it's going to flare up because of that emotional stressors in that type of environment. And again, goes hand in hand with recovery. You know, if if someone who completed treatment here and is in their early sobriety and they go home to that disrupted environment, they are under stress, emotionally dysregulated, uh, chances are high that they will relapse. All right, so it is a full cycle approach to treating chronic pain from the emotional standpoint. Now, let's talk about the non-pharmacological approaches to treat chronic pain that you do in lieu of medication at Karen. Give us some of the key components of what that looks like. Yeah. Now, we 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 had talked a lot about opioids, the, the full agonist opioids, partial agonist opioids, uh, but uh, not to say that all medications are not appropriate in chronic pain management. There are some medications that have been found to be very helpful. And, and obviously, for from coming from us, they are non-habit-forming, non-addictive medications. And then there's a whole slew of non 
pharmacologic modalities of pain management. And the, uh, on top of the list, <laughs> this is the number one priority uh, that I order for virtually everyone with chronic pain condition is physical therapy. Okay. In other words, movement and activity. And uh, uh, people with chronic pain conditions and with substance use disorder on top of that uh, typically are not very active. And uh, some people are downright sedentary, especially people with, with pain condition. Uh, because of pain, they don't want to move, which exacerbates a pain, and they don't want to move even more. And it's, it's a vicious cycle. So uh, first order business is always movement. Uh, motion is lotion. <laughs> that's, that's, <laughs> and, and how does Karen accommodate well, that? Well, first, we we uh, uh, enroll them in physical therapy, and our physical therapy here uh, is uh, 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 perhaps a more accurate description of our physical therapy here is um, functional therapy, okay, to get people moving to recondition certain muscle sets and to strengthen because uh, with uh, some of the most common pain conditions that involves uh, bony structures and the spine, like low back pain, for example, uh, typically the muscular support to the bony structure is deficient. It, it is not strong enough to support the structure. Stronger it is, more support they get, and better they'll 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 feel. And uh, and from physical therapy, once they get a little bit more reconditioned and stronger, then they could. Uh, work with our trainers at the gym and, and just uh, start to become more and more active. So uh, movement is always number one. And uh, medical massage is always uh, is another modality that's very helpful for chronic pain condition. Again, it speaks to uh, muscle contractions and tightness, typically asymmetric. That means one side, uh, muscles on one side of the body is going to be more uh, con- uh conditioned on the other side and tighter, okay? And so medical massage works to kind of loosen up the musculature a little bit. And we also have acupuncture performed by a a very skilled uh, uh, physician here we have, and that has been found to be extremely helpful for all sorts of chronic pain conditions as well. And what about neuromodulation stimulators? What are those? Neuromodulation is appropriate for some people and not for others. And what these devices are, uh, they are electrical stimulations. Uh, uh, that is not the same as what most people are familiar with, which is the TENS unit. Okay, uh, The, the uh, neuromodulation unit that we use here at Karen, they're electrical stimulations that simulates the the painful area with alternating current. That, that's like uh, the wall current, okay? But it, it's safe. <laughs> it's safe and you will not electrocute anyone. Okay. Does, <laughs> Good to know. Uh, what it does is a couple of things. It, it works to relax the musculature that it is stimulating. Again, it's kind of like an electrical medical massage, okay? And uh, after our muscles been stimulated by electricity, it tend to go into what's called latency period, okay? That means the musculature just kind of relax. And that is helpful for people with 
very, very tight musculature that contribute to that pain. And the other thing that it, the neuromodulation unit does is it sort of disrupts the pain signal from uh, the affected area to the brain. We talked about that, that body-brain communication earlier, uh, that two-way highway, and, and neuromodulation device kind of disrupts that highway a little bit. And so people do find this device very helpful. So again, you work in a in a specific way by giving your clients not only medication when they need it, but by helping them emotionally and then, of course, non-pharmacologically. If they are not able to get to you, then this is the best time of year, especially in the beginning when we have all these New Year's resolutions, right? Movement is key. So if they're working with a doctor and they're and you're tapering because you have chronic pain or you have gone through a detox or you want to begin to lessen the pain, a gym or movement or massage, physical therapy, um, medical massage, acupuncture, all of these things will help tremendously. And what about overall wellness, Dr. Wang? How do we improve that in order to help chronic pain? Uh, overall wellness certainly is very, very important, not, not just from appropriate medications for their chronic pain, uh, but also from uh, non-pharmacologic modalities that we just talked about, but all, also healthy diet, healthy diet and lifestyle. And uh, we know that uh, diet, diet uh, uh, healthy diet, it is helpful for people with chronic pain conditions to avoid certain types of unhealthy uh, processed foods, uh, and certainly we encourage that also. And we have uh, uh, we have our chronic pain patients if their diet is horrendous <laughs> because as part of their substance use disorder, we we do have them meet with our uh, certified dietitian to to review their diet and, uh, and offer suggestions of what they uh, probably should be eating here. Those are very big suggestions for all of us and the kinds of things that will seriously help minimizing the pain, not only emotionally, but physically. So on the whole, you've created this wonderful program. What is your hope? What's the end goal in managing chronic pain? Um, th there's really no angle, Ellen, but there's goals. <laughs> okay. Let me put it this way, Ellen. The goal of any chronic pain management is always to improve their function and to improve their quality of life, okay? So by saying that, you notice that I did not mention how little or how much pain the person have because that, 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 that is not the focus here, okay? The focus of our chronic pain program is not to reduce the person's perceived pain from uh, eight to nine out of 10 to a, a one out of 10. That is never the goal. Okay. Now, if that happens, that's great for the person, but the, the goal is always to improve their function and quality of life, whatever level of pain they leave here with. Okay. And uh, our experience here at Karen is that most people with chronic pain conditions leave here uh, with either very little pain or virtually no pain. And certainly they could report that their function and their quality of life just within the several weeks that they've been here, 
they could see that it has much improved. So function and quality of life. Function and quality of life. That's absolutely fantastic. And your success rate seems to be very high. Give us an example of maybe one or two people that have walked in with serious situations and have left you in a much better frame. Just a couple of examples for us. One individual uh, that always come to mind uh, uh, because he, he had a dramatic improvement as an older adult that we had here a number of years ago who uh, came in, uh, he was prescribed uh, opioids, for Agnes opioids by his physician. And th- this is a very, very kind, compassionate doctor who was doing the best she could. And uh, in the end, he came to us because problems were happening. <laughs> uh, emergency room visit after emergency room visits. And uh, 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 there seems to be no solution out there. So his daughter brought him to us. And uh, again, I put him uh, through uh, a series of uh, modalities that we have discussed. Got him off of his full agonist opioid and enroll him in physical therapy, massage. And one of the things that uh, we did not talk about, Ellen, is that I mentioned that some medications are appropriate and helpful. Uh, 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 the goal is to have better function and quality of life. So this is an older individual, uh, about 80 or so, I believe, when he first came here. And uh, he he was non-functional uh, and um, could barely walk. And I, during the process of uh, getting him off of his full agonist prescription opioids, I used buprenorphine, okay? But what I did was I left him on a small dose of buprenorphine as a pain medicine, okay? And uh, because this individual, uh, he wants to get back to his family and enjoy the rest of his life. And so he did very well on small doses of buprenorphine that was not causing any issues. And uh, by the time he left here, he was walking without assistive devices, uh, cane, walker, nothing at all, and was able to enjoy his uh, grandkids. And uh, he passed away about a few years later from, from a heart disease. But uh, during that period of time that he did have, the family reported that he they thoroughly enjoyed him. Yeah, that's really interesting because not only did he thoroughly enjoy life, but his family got to thoroughly enjoy him. And that's that's really wonderful. Okay, so we just have a very short amount of time. Leave us a message for 2024. What do you want our listeners to know about the hope in treating chronic pain? Uh, there, There is hope for people with chronic pain conditions and uh, it's not a hopeless situation. It can be treated uh, by uh, by the right methods, by the right physicians and the right facilities. So uh, don't give up hope. Fantastic. Thank you so much, doctor, for being with us. I sincerely appreciate it. Dr. Wang is a, a constant contributor for us here at Recovery Recharge. The doctor works for Karen, C-A-R-O-N dot org, a very well, world-renowned treatment center here um, 
in the United States, caron.org. You can read about their chronic pain program. And if it's for you, please go. The Pushy Broad from the Bronx is always here for you. Recovery Recharged happens on a regular basis. Please go to my website, pushybroadfromthebronx.com. Sign up for a free session if you want to start the new year off right or call me at 800-889-1757. I am here to help you. Thank you so much. Let's ring in the new year a bigger and better and brighter you. See you next time. This is Ellen Stewart, the Pushy Broad from the Bronx, saying thanks for listening. And remember, everybody needs a little push. From the Pushy Broad from the Bronx, New York.